Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I don't mean to brag. I don't mean to boast. I like hot butter on my breakfast toast. Okay. Quoting what? Forget about it. But I don't mean to brag. I did. I was aware before the last two weeks that there was a thing called Juneteenth. It wasn't front of mind, to be fair, but I was aware of it. I'd heard of it, read about it. It's a thing that happens when you're in this country. Maybe. Certain parts of it. Maybe. Anyway, as you uh, have probably noticed in the news recently, there. oh, for those of you who don't, don't know, haven't been, it is the anniversary of the date, June 19th, in, I believe, 1865, when some folks, some African-American folks down in Texas were informed two years late that Abraham Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation and that they, therefore, four, were free from like two years ago when they were still being treated as slaves because they were the last to find out. Always the last to know. And now, there, as I say, there's a, a movement afoot, given current events, to make Juneteenth a national holiday. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to dispose of my skeptical, some say incorrectly cynical, uh, pose and um, adopt a, a sunny and you know, almost Mike Pence, happy talk kind of attitude toward that idea. Let me explain the rationale. There are only two months of the year that do not contain a national holiday in America. They are August and June. So the slot's available. See? You're welcome. Hello, welcome to the show. Now is the time. Now is the time for all good men to get together with one another. Iron out their problems and iron out their quarrels and try to live as brothers. And try to find peace within without stepping on one another. And do respect of the women of the world, just remember we all had mothers. Make this land a better land in the world in which we live. And help each man be a better man with the kind. And I know we can make it. I know that we can. I know done well. We can work it out. Oh, yes, we can. I know we can, can. Yes, we can, can. Why can't we? If we want it, yes, we can, can. I know we can make it work. I know that we can. I know we can make it if we try. Oh, yes, we can. I know we can, can. Yes, we can. Great gosh almighty. Yes, we can. I know we can. Man, be a better man with the kindness that you give. 
And I know we can make it. I know that we can. I know done well we can work it out. From Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this this edition of the show. Still self-isolating. I'll be self-isolating somewhere else next week. Would you like to be a host of me self-isolating? No, I'm not doing that. Ladies and gentlemen, I have, in my time as an actor, played a, a not a cop. I've never been a cop. Never been a cop. Never played a cop. But I did play a law enforcement professional working for the Department of Agriculture. It was on uh, Miami Vice, as a matter of fact. And I got to utter the immortal words, freeze, USDA. So as I say, I'm not a cop, never been a cop. But it seems to me, if I were a cop, and you know, you face a lot of threats as a, as a police officer... That's that's what we pay you the small bucks for. I, I the my favorite threat would be from a guy running away from me. That's the one I'd pick of all those. You know, just just a thought. Aunt Jemima is gone. Aunt Jemima is gone. Quaker Oats announced this week 
company recognizes Aunt Jemima's origins are based on a racial, racial stereotype. It's 130 years it took them to realize that. I mean, you know, first time I looked at it when I was a kid, I went, yeah, really? But, uh, you know, everybody's got their own clock. Aunt Jemima was originally dressed as a minstrel character. Well, that would have been a tip-off right there. She's changed over time. And in recent years, Quaker Oats, Quaker, it's in, down at Oats Company, and it's not Quaker anymore. It's part of Pepsi. But they removed the mammy kerchief from her head. That wasn't enough, apparently. They, 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 they thought that would, <laughs> that would take the curse off it. They want to make progress towards racial equality, and please, please buy her. Or uh, whatever she... What, Aunt Jemima, cereal? What was it? I don't even remember now. Anyway, no comment yet from Uncle Ben. But speaking of advertising, here is why, ladies and gentlemen. It may not be a good idea for our news media to try to support themselves. They're struggling doing it. To try to support themselves by means of selling advertising. To show you what I mean, I'm going to read the trades for you. This is from Advertising Age. Keyword blocking hits Black Lives Matter content. Oh, yeah. I'm going to read it for you. And to you, and if I could, with you. Maybe next year. Marketers are increasingly preventing their ads from appearing alongside content related to Black Lives Matter protests. Some are blocking keywords including, quote, black people, unquote, quote, George Floyd, unquote, or BLM. This according to a top executive at Vice Media. The exclusions are driven not only by specific brand requests. Agencies have long used third-party brand safety vendors to avoid specific keywords, including murder and riot. This allows them some control over the content environment in which their ads appear. Publishers now say those keyword lists, meant to ensure brand's identity and messaging, and prevented from being seen as endorsing controversial content, represent outdated and discriminatory technology. In addition, some media buyers use so-called dead person lists, which include names of prominent people, including Floyd, and avoid those stories altogether. Keyword blocking limits the revenue publishers can derive from what is typically their top performing content, i.e. the big news of the day. Many of them have begun pushing for reform. Vice reviewed its catalog of news stories between June 2 and June 8th to see how much revenue each article generated on a cost per thousand basis, the, co the cost to show an ad a thousand times, on the open programmatic marketplace. Although content related to George Floyd, protests, riots, and riots, and Black Lives Matter delivered the most traffic, cost per thousand were 50% lower. See, it's a, an auction kind of market that exists now in digital advertising. Uh, lower 
than for ads associated with news stories on other topics, says the VP of Global Revenue Products at Vice Media. It's an unfortunate impact on journalistic businesses such as ourselves, he says. A portion of how we monetize content has to be programmatic. This is advertisers in an auction marketplace with publishers. To take a clip like that really works against what we're trying to do here, i.e. journalism. It makes it difficult for the rest of the news organization to create that content and inform the world. For publishers, unquote him, for publishers the economic impact of keyword blocking, which recently hit with news coverage of COVID-19, comes at a time when marketers are scaling back their advertising spending. Two, Vice Media has long opposed some keyword blocking practices. It called on last year it called on advertisers to reconsider blocking words including gay, fat, and Muslim. A gay, fat Muslim walks into a bar. Oh oh, oh oh! Says the executive of Vice. We received quite a bit of applause that day, but nothing has changed. The block lists have only gotten larger. Unquote. Well, there's more news. Block listing is the term adopted by Vice, since blacklisting and whitelisting carry racist undertones. The company says. Apparently, Aunt Jemima told them. Some media agencies are also using exclusion and inclusion lists, blocking keywords such as "quote black people" unquote, also underscores some of the issues buried deep within the digital ad tech ecosystem. Says the chief. Digital officer at Vice Media. In a lot of ways, this falls under the covers of the complexities within ad tech. He says, "Keyword targeting around Black Lives Matter and George Floyd represents macro aggressions within the structural framework of how we support media and journalism." Unquote. I.e., don't do that. The uh, original executive quoted, Mr. Wallace says, "Clients." That is to say, advertisers seldom check their block lists, if at all. They admit they never check, he says, or they say they check every six months. Given how quickly the news changes, six months is a long time. It's those damn third parties. The solution, he says, is simple: review your lists. Well, I got a simpler one. The one that freaked us out the most, says the vice executive, was "black people." That is a descriptor of a person, and there is nothing negative about that. By putting it on a block list, it is effectively saying that it is. There are about a dozen algorithms out there working on behalf of these third-party technology tools that are identifying these words and adding them to lists without anyone having lifted a finger. He adds. But if if they did lift a finger, it would be a white finger. The CEO of Digital Content Next, a publisher trade body, says technology must improve. It seems to be a circumstance, he says. Jason Kint, 
says, where blunt decisions are being made with regard to efficiency, scale, and targeting of audiences without no regard, with no regard, to the important coverage of these protests or any consideration of whether the publisher is a trusted news organization. A report from a cyber security company called Check, its clients include several advertising firms, says $2.8 billion was lost due to incorrect blocking of safe content on premium news sites last year. The company says roughly 90% of its clients requested some form of disengagement from content surrounding the protests in Minneapolis. Guy Titunovich, he's the CEO at Czech, says the 90% figure would have been much lower had COVID-19 never taken place. This year has been quite pivotal for news and brand safety, he says. The market reaction for COVID-19 prepared marketers for their I've had enough response that we're seeing right now. Despite Czech's advanced blocking techniques, the news surrounding Black Lives Matter protests has overwhelmingly been negative, Titunovich says, adding the company's natural language, language processing technology would have scored most stories as being too negative for most brands. I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, news of the warm, won't you? Not that soft. Earth's temperature spiked to a record high for May, according to U.S. meteorologists who haven't been fired yet. Last month, the global average temperature was 60.3 degrees, tying 2016 for the hottest May in 141 years of record keeping, according to NOAA. That's 1.7 degrees higher than the 20th century average for Earth. Temperature on land set a heat record, a land heat record. Ocean temperatures ranked second. Parts of Africa, Asia, Western Europe, South and Central America had record warmth. We continue to warm on the long term and in any given month we're likely to be knocking on the door close to a record in the era, era that we're in, said the Chief of Climate Monitoring at NOAA. The last seven Mays from 2014 to 2020, have been the seven warmest Mays on record. Well, that's almost a trend. This past spring was the second hottest on record behind 2016, and this year so far is the second hottest five-month start of a year. The uh, official at NOAA says it's highly likely that this will be one of the two hottest years since 1880. Yeah, but that's just... How far back is that? It's just... An international research team comprising scientists from the University of Hong Kong, the Nanyang Technological University in Singapore, Macquarie University, and the University of Wollongong in Australia, as well as Rutgers. Well, that's, that's an easy one to pronounce. No wonder they threw that one in. That team has predicted that mangroves will not be able to survive with rising sea level rates reached by 2050. That's if emissions are not reduced. The team's findings recently published in Science. I guess sports... Using sedimentary archives from the past of the Earth, 
Researchers estimated the probability of mangrove survival under rates of sea level rise corresponding to two climate scenarios, the bad and the really bad. When rates of sea level rise exceeded 6 millimeters per year, that's a quarter of an inch, similar to estimates under high uh, high scenarios for 2050, researchers found mangroves very likely stopped keeping pace. But they can survive sea level rise by building vertically when the rise remains under 0.2 inches per year. That's under the not-so-bad scenario. The other thing mangroves can do, besides growing vertically to uh, outrace moderate sea level rise, is they can move inland if uh, we didn't have all those buildings there. But if the sea level rises enough, we won't anyway. So there you go. News of the warm. Yeah, it's copyrighted. Who isn't? And now, what the frack? If you'd like to have a smaller baby, live near fracking. In a California study, a team found that pregnant women living near active high-production oil and gas wells, like fracking wells, have an elevated chance of having low birth weight babies. This adds to a growing body of research on potential public health impacts from oil and gas operations. This appeared in The Conversation. The team analyzed the birth records of nearly 3 million babies born to people living within 6.2 miles of at least one oil and gas or a gas well in Sacramento, San Joaquin Valley, South Central Coast, and South Coast regions, all of California. Those are the state's oil production epicenters between 2005 and 2015. The analysis found that in rural areas, pregnant women who lived within a kilometer little more than half a mile of the highest producing wells were 40% more likely to have low birth weight babies compared to pregnant women women living farther away from wells or near inactive wells. Also found, did the team, that rural women living near the highest producing wells were 20% more likely to have babies who were small for their gestational age. That is an indication of reduced fetal growth. I said fetal. Among full-term births, babies born to rural women living within just about a half mile of a well were 1.3 ounces smaller on average than those of their counterparts. But they got better mileage. All right, I'll stop here. Just a pit stop for news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has weighed in now on the uh, burning question of whether the Olympics will be held next year, and if so, how. He repeatedly vowed to hold the Olympics in a complete form. Those ambitions are now being tamped down, according to Nikkei Asian Review, as he hopes to avoid the worst-case scenario, a cancellation of the event. The only two choices before the IOC right now are holding the games in Tokyo next year as scheduled, as scheduled, rescheduled after it was canceled for this year, or canceling them altogether, said an IOC member. According to European media, a final decision could be made next spring. 
The Abbey government is scrambling to prepare for athletes and spectators to go to Tokyo, even if vaccines have not been fully distributed. The only other option, off the table, holding the games without fans in the seats. They may shorten the opening ceremony, the torch relay schedule, and the guest list. As proof that humanity has completely defeated the novel coronavirus, I intend to open the games in a complete form, Prime Minister Abe has said. But an executive board member of the Tokyo Olympic Organizing Committee says another delay should be sought if the games can't be held next year, as opposed to the nuclear option of cancellation. The main priority is to make a united effort to hold them in the summer of 2021, says Horiyuki Takahashi, executive board member of the Tokyo Organizing Committee. He said if that is not possible, 2021, we should start action once again to get another delay. Estimates in Japan say the one-year delay is going to cost two to six million, sorry, billion, sorry, billion, most of which will fall to Japanese taxpayers. How did that happen? IOC President Thomas Bach and local organizing committee President Mori have both ruled out another delay. But Takahashi has been intimately tied to the Tokyo Games. He's reported to have received millions of dollars from the Tokyo Bid Committee for his work lobbying IOC members when Tokyo was chosen ahead of Madrid and Istanbul. Takahashi is a former employee of the giant Japanese advertising agency Dentsu, which has been credited with helping Tokyo land the Olympics. Tokyo is the exclusive marketing agency for the Tokyo Olympics and has been pivotal in lining up a record $3.3 billion in local sponsorships. A French investigation has touched on Dentsu's role in landing the Olympics, including lobbying Lamine Diak, an IOC member when Tokyo was awarded the Olympics, and a former head of the world governing body of track and field. He is on trial in Paris right now on corruption charges, separate from alleged vote buying in 2013. The vote-buying allegations forced the resignation last year of Senekazu Takeda, the president of the Japanese Olympic Committee. Let's have it in 2022. Same year as the Winter Olympics. Let's have it after the next Olympics. Anything's possible when you're the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. In uh, this week's news, <laughs> what, is, what is he called? It? Well, President Trump. President Trump. Uh, Friday night, you know, when the uh, they dump the news they don't want you to notice, the uh, administration revealed that uh, Attorney General Bill Barr had asked, well, had announced the resignation of the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, the so-called SDNY. Uh, only to be met by a uh, statement from the said U.S. attorney saying, I didn't resign. First I heard about this was the news release from the Justice Department. I'm not quitting. The reason this all may be happening is um, he, Mr. Berman, who uh, voted for and donated to the 2016 
Trump campaign has um, indicted two of the associates of Rudy Giuliani and um, put President, <laughs> President Trump's former lawyer and fixer, Mr. Cohen, in jail. The, uh, the twist to this story is that uh, President Trump didn't really appoint Mr. Berman to the job. Um, he ended up getting appointed by the judges, United States District Court judges in the Southern District of New York. And apparently, the person, the only person who can um, fire the, a U.S. attorney is the person who appointed him, or the people. You see what I mean? Except, late on Saturday, it turns out the president did attempt to fire Jeffrey Berman. Berman decided not to fight because in the president's announcement was the news that Berman's assistant would take over the job, which is the normal course of events. That's right. A normal course of events happened in the Trump administration. There's still, of course, a lot of uh, reaction regarding (laughs) Mr. Trump's declaration a week ago that he is the law and order president that predated, that just preceded his uh, walking across the street for the memorable, look, I'm holding a Bible in my hand photo op. As I said, that happened uh, last week, but it takes a while for the news to uh, travel upward, like to heaven. Well, it's about time you got here, Oliver. Hmm? (laughs) I mean, I haven't got all day. Uh, Very bad traffic between clouds. Of course, I do have all day, every day. It's it's part of the problem. uh, I think it's all the new COVID victims getting checked in. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm hearing there are a lot of backups. Yeah. Not what you'd expect up here, though. No. No. Makes you wonder what kind of heaven they're running up here. <laughs> Still, we, we did get a preview of the alternative arrangement. No, I, I remember. It took Pat weeks to get all the soot off my shirts. Mm-hmm. Still, something okay. urgent? Uh, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. If I said, law and order president... Mm-hmm. Whose name would you associate with that phrase? Well, I mean... No, 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 don't think about it. First name, it comes into your head. Mm-hmm. I guess I'd have to say you. Hmm. Any doubt about that? Because no. uh, you paused there. No, no, I, I was just trying to parse... The... So you'd say people, mm-hmm. not just you, mm-hmm. but people, mm-hmm. would say my name when they heard that phrase? Uh, law and order president, that phrase? Of course that phrase. What other damn phrase would we be talking about right now? Jesus, Holden. Sometimes I wish I still had the power to fire people. Yes, I'd say that. That That is definitely part of your brand. That and a generation of peace in the world. That would be the whole brand, as you call it. Yes, so we're not counting the... Uh... The other thing. Can we just concentrate on the matter at hand? Because because you heard number 45 calling himself the law and order president. Look, I certainly thought it was out You know what it was, Haldeman? Mm-hmm. It was presumptuous. Oh, I know the kids don't use words like that any longer. From what I hear, the kids don't use many words at all right now. Screw the kids. <laughs> but, you know, I've always felt that way. Mm-hmm. 
I was never even sure that Trisha voted for me. Julie, she was a rock. But well, 45 did take a pretty hard line on clearing the protesters out of his way to the photo op. All of it. Mm -hmm. I went to religious services once in a blue moon and a half. Mm -hmm. And I was usually memorizing speeches while I was there. But I damn well know how to hold a damn Bible. Oh, I, I've seen you hold many survivors. And you know how to deal with those protesters? You don't clear them away with tear gas. You get totally crock-potted on wild turkey, and then you go out in the middle of the night and you talk to them. Sure. Of course, these kids go home around 10. It got you the great coverage, I have to... Of course it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Almost as if it was the uh, rationale for doing it. That's right. That's right. Almost. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy had a hell of a time finding somebody who could kick some halfway decent butt down at the Justice Department. Mm -hmm. I had John Mitchell from the very outset, and he, well, he only had to quit uh, way down the line uh, because of uh, the, uh, the thing. But uh, you call Lord Order President my brand. Mm -hmm. Worked very hard to earn that for you. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when somebody comes around and steals your brand? Hmm. I'm going to answer my own question because it's so damn rhetorical. You sue the pants off of them, or at the very least you order a break in at his psychiatrist's office. Well, I don't think 45 has a psychiatrist. No, no. Well, the really crazy ones never do. See? That's where they get you. You know who would love to take that case? Roy Cohn. Well, Mitchell could do it, but, mm -hmm. uh, but isn't Roy Cohn in the uh, alternative arrangement? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have to worry about getting the soot out of his shirts. <laughs> no, I heard. He got the flame-proof ones. <laughs> yep, yep. Nice to think about, but... Uh, well, I'm no lawyer. I was, but... Uh, but I don't think dead people have standing to sue. Yep, yep, probably true. Yep. Dead people don't have standing. No. See, if we'd been able to finish the second term, we well but might have... wouldn't be troubled about 45 and the whole law and order president thing. Well, not troubled exactly, no. but uh, no. you really do understand how crime victims feel when something like this happens to you. The way I see it, it's like some other cigarette company has a cowboy in their ad, and everybody knows that's the Marlboro Man, right? Well, of course, so... But that's you. You're the Marlboro Man of Law and Order Presidents. I suppose. Mm -hmm. Of course, when, when you put it that way. So, I mean, if that's all that... No, 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 no. You go ahead. Uh, I don't want you to be stuck on this cloud when it's rush hour. I'll say, appreciate it, sir. No, I, I'd do the same for you, I'm sure. Mm. Otherwise, I'd be hearing you bellyaching about it. It could happen tomorrow, so... <laughs> Thank you, sir.
Santa Monica. This is the show. And um, we begin the next segment with some good news for California Congressman Devin Nunes. He's not crazy. Congressman Nunez Nunez had uh, complained earlier this week that all of Winston Churchill's photographs had been removed from Google. Um, I went to Google, and there were dozens and dozens of Winston Churchill's photographs. I and some other people drew the obvious conclusion, but wait, Google apologized in response to user reports of Churchill's photos missing from searches for UK prime ministers and World War II leaders. Some users found that Churchill's photo was appearing blank in search results that appear at the top of the web page. You know, because you only go to the top? Google's search liaison Twitter account, which includes tweets from the company's public liaison of search, Danny Sullivan, shares messages with uh, users or followers. The account wrote the team was aware of the missing image last Sunday and apologized for the error. This was not purposeful and will be resolved, the tweet said went on to explain that information of Churchill's first term as UK Prime Minister didn't seem to appear in search results, but this was not specific to Churchill. Who else was Prime Minister during... and was an error that sometimes happens during an update. The issues regarding Churchill's missing photo and select information was resolved. Again, this was not purposeful, the account said. Our apologies for the concerns caused. Devin Nunes... You're not crazy. Two of Britain's biggest institutions, the Church of England and the Bank of England, why those would be apologized this week for their historic links to slavery. The church called it a source of shame. The apologies reported by the Telegraph newspaper came after analysis of figures compiled by University College London found that individual members of both institutions profited from slavery. The UCL research found that nearly 100 clergymen and six governors plus four directors of the bank benefited from slavery. Church of England spokesman told the newspaper, while we recognize the leading role clergy and active members of the Church of England played in securing the abolition of slavery, it's a course of, source of shame that others within the church, church actively perpetrated slavery and profited from it, unquote. A Bank of England spokesman said, as an institution, the bank was never itself directly involved in the slave trade, but is aware of some inexcusable connections, including former governors and directors, and apologizes for them. The bank added it would remove any images on display of former executives who were involved with the slave trade. More English apologies for the involvement thereof in the slave trade. Pub chain Green King and insurance market Lloyds of London have apologized for their historical links to slavery. One of Green King's founders owned a number of plantations in the Caribbean. Meanwhile, maritime insurance, which was focused on Lloyds, thrived on the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade. Both organizations have apologized. Lloyds has said it will donate to charities representing black, Asian, and minority ethnic groups. Green King said it would make a substantial investment to benefit that community after consulting with its staff on how this money can best be used. Well, the staff will say, give it to us, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't understand the staff. 
Lloyd's and Green King's moves were again first reported by The Telegraph in the UK. Lloyd's, founded in 1688, insured slave ships. Lloyd said in a statement, there's some aspects of our history we're not proud of. We're sorry for the role played by the Lloyd's market in the 18th and 19th century slave trade. This was an appalling and shameful period of English history as well as our own. We condemn the indefensible wrongdoing that occurred during this period. I don't know about the pub chain. It's pubs, you know. A Virginia sheriff has apologized to a black pastor who was arrested earlier this month. The pastor had called 911 to report that a group of white people were trespassing on his property and taunting him with racial slurs. The pastor, Leon K. McRae, 61, called authorities during the confrontation, which began when he saw two people hauling a refrigerator to the dumpster of the apartment building he owns in Edinburgh, Virginia. McRae declined to comment when reached by phone by news media, told a local TV station that the two people became angry when he asked them to leave the property. They quickly returned, he said, with three friends who were also white. He said the five people surrounded him and began using racial slurs, and one head-butted him while another shoved him from behind. In a sermon earlier this month, McRae told his congregation that one of the people ran to me full speed, snatching his shirt off, jumping in my face, and then he circled around behind me. These same individuals were threatening my life, telling me that my black life and the Black Lives Matter stuff they don't give a darn about, that in this country and and they could, they don't give a darn about that in this country and they could care less and we will kill you, he said. Fearing for his life, McRae told the local TV station, he pulled out his gun and pointed it down to the ground in hopes they would back off. Then he called 911. Sheriff's deputies arrived and arrested Mr. McRae, who was charged with brandishing a firearm, a misdemeanor. According to Virginia law, it's legal for a person to brandish a weapon in justifiable self-defense. McRae later told his congregation he had a license to carry a concealed weapon. The sheriff spoke to McRae two days after the incident and apologized. He said the five people who confronted McRae had been taken into custody on various charges, including hate crimes. The sheriff also said he'd placed two supervisors in his department on administrative leave, and he asked the county attorney's office to drop the brandishing charge against McRae. Don't you brandish now. Don't you be brandishing. After talking with him about the incident, it was apparent to me the charge of brandishing was certainly not appropriate, the sheriff wrote. Actually, as I told Mr. McRae, if I were faced with similar circumstances, I would probably have done the same thing. Somebody got left out of a school yearbook. The Wachtung, oh, sorry, Wachtung Hills Regional High School in Warren, New Jersey. The uh, superintendent there has apologized for the omission of a special needs student's graduation picture from the school yearbook. Elizabeth Jewett said it was not intentional. The picture of the student was not printed in the yearbook. The issue ignited a social media firestorm after her sister posted on Facebook about the omission. Imagine the heartbreak my mother felt having to explain to my sister why she wasn't in the yearbook and my sister not being able to understand how she was seen as different than her general education classmates. The superintendent said the emotion, the omission was troubling. We deeply regret that the student mentioned in the post was not pictured in our yearbook. We apologize to her and our family for this omission. Superintendent said, 
other pictures of special needs students may have been omitted from the yearbook. She said an allegation that all the special needs students were left out of the yearbook was incorrect. A supplemental yearbook that's inclusive of all students will be sent out. Imagine two yearbooks for one year. Japanese media companies have disclosed that their opinion polls included false answers given by an employee of a subcontractor. Fuji Television Network and the Sankai Shimbun newspaper said the misconduct occurred concerned monthly surveys on politics, including cabinet approval ratings. The two companies commissioned the telephone surveys to another firm, which outsourced the work to a Kyoto-based company. It's a beautiful city. An employee of this company input answers for 14 surveys between May last year and last month without making calls to the public. Each survey covered 1,000 people, supposedly. The improper responses account for 17% of the total. The employee reportedly told Fuji Television it was difficult to find enough staff to make the calls. The broadcaster and newspaper apologized for reporting incorrect results and deleted stories that used the data. They say they will suspend taking opinion polls for some time. Hackers targeted a virtual Juneteenth event hosted by the city of Chattanooga, displaying pornography and derailing the celebration. The publicly broadcast event hosted by the city's Office of Multicultural Affairs was interrupted by the display of pornographic images and videos. The city condemned the stunt in a series of tweets. Mayor Andy Burke apologized for the incidents. We do not condone this behavior. I apologize to those participating, whether as an organizer, performer, or resident looking to learn more about Juneteenth who were hurt by this appalling act. Of course, it's not the first such incident. Not clear from this story. From the Chattanooga Times Free Press, whether it was Zoom that was bombed or not. But they somebody bombed the Noog. Decades old photos to photos depicting white students in blackface in Moody Bible Institute yearbooks have led the leaders to issue an apology and pledge to carefully examine racism in its history and current ministry. As current senior leadership of Moody Bible Institute would come together in this letter to deeply apologize for these photos and the underlying ignorance and racist foundation blackface represents, wrote Moody's president Mark Job. The yearbook photos were from 1974-1984. Way back then. An Alabama bar has put an end to its dress code after many on social media deemed it racist. The Woolworth, located in the Five Points South Entertainment District, you know where that is, in in Birmingham? Sure. Issued an apology for the controversial guidelines, according to AL.com. The dress code listed on its website banned jerseys, athletic wear, tattered clothing, sloppy or unshapely clothing, you're an adult, dress like one, said the code. Sagging pants, skull caps, or kerchiefs. The uh, the bar insisted if you're a fortune teller, prove it. Clock necklaces and many more. Birmingham, we're sorry. The bar now states on its website, our dress code policy was lousy. We've removed it. Community is a core value of the Woolworth, and we want to be a place where Birmingham can build community. The bar thanked those who complained and apologized for having a policy that offends our fellow Birminghamians. The Woolworth pledged to find a non-discriminatory way to ensure a sophisticated experience for our customers. At a bar. The bagel store at the center of a viral video that shows a woman deliberately coughing on another customer has apologized for the incident. New York City Bagel and Coffee House on Broadway in Astoria. 
that's Queens, I believe, condemned the woman's actions in a social media post. The behavior of the woman is unacceptable in our establishment. We apologize for the horrific behavior of this woman. Customers should never be treated in that manner. It has barred the woman from all of its locations. The woman comes into the bagel house to uh, pick up an order without a mask on. Another employee, another customer complains to an employee about it. The woman takes offense and erupts in a fit of anger. The two exchange words. The staff then serve the woman without a mask her order. She grabs the order, then goes over to the customer who complained and coughs in her face. It's almost like holding a rally in Tulsa after it sets a record for... New cases. A white pastor for an Atlanta megachurch has tearfully apologized to re- for referring to the blessing of slavery and for suggesting that the phrase white privilege could better be understood as a white blessing. Louis Giglio, the founder of Passion City Church, made the comments in a recorded conversation with Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae Moore and the CEO of fast food chain Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, who's also an evangelical Christian. The three men had a panel discussion on race in America that was streamed online. At one point, Giglio suggested that people who may be reluctant to accept the term white privilege might better understand the idea if it's called a white blessing. We understand the curse that was slavery. White people do. And we say that was bad. and But we miss the blessing of slavery that it actually built up the framework for the world that white people lived in and live in, and a lot of people call this white privilege, he said to the panelists. The pastor later added, maybe a great thing for me is to call it white blessing. Giglio apologized after the backlash occurred. In a video message posted to Twitter, his voice audibly shaking as he called it, a horrible choice of words. To be clear, I don't believe there's any blessing in slavery. To the contrary, what I'm trying to understand and help people see is that I... My white brothers and sisters, we sit in large part where we are today because of centuries of gross injustice done to our black brothers and sisters. The uh, Christian hip-hopper was criticized by some who said he failed to speak out against the words in the moment. He apologized to anyone who was let down, said he was attempting to be diplomatic during an uncomfortable exchange. He said he spent years battling racism within the evangelical church. The head of Chick-fil-A, for his part, said nothing, either then or since. The country band known as Lady Antebellum has changed its name to Lady A, a blues singer in Washington State, Seattle, to be specific, who's been performing under the name Lady A for 20 years, was first shocked. She read about it in the newspaper, then member the band reached out to her apologized, and now they've both agreed to use the name Lady A. Lady A and Lady A B. No, that's not. In a statement posted to social media, the band said that when Lady Antebellum formed 14 years ago, the group didn't consider the pre-Civil War associations that weigh down the word, including ties to slavery. What exactly did they think Antebellum meant? No word. And Megan Amram, a producer and co-writer on NBC's The Good Place, has apologized for posting offensive tweets several years ago that have resurfaced. They uh, made jokes about Asian Americans, Jewish people, and people with disabilities. My instinct is to share the varying degrees of explanation for every tweet that is offended, but I know full well there are no excuses. I will be sorry for as long as I live that I have hurt even one person, and I very much understand why my words 
have hurt. Also, I specifically would like to apologize to the Asian American community where I've hurt the most, which I've hurt the most with my tweets. I very much understand why you are hurt. This is not lip service, she adds. It's something I'm very important to the core of what I'm trying to do with my life. I tweeted some careless, hurtful things. I wish I could take them back because it is weighing heavily on my heart. I'm sorry, I mean it, and will prove that every day for the rest of my life. And she went on. And she writes for TV. She knows better. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. That's it for this edition of the show. Next week, same time on these radio stations or whenever you want it on your audio device of choice. And it would be just like me being your law and order president if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Oh, thank, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk and to Pam Halstead and Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address here, Cars I Talk t-shirts offered. And uh, the music playlist on display, all at harryshear.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shear. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.